0: Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. My name is Dan Johnson, I'm your host, and today we're going to be talking with returning guest Tom Peplinski about his annual food plot strategy when hunting whitetails. Um, We kind of dive into these quote-unquote kill plots, he doesn't necessarily call them a kill plot, but these smaller food plots, we talk about destination food plots, and we kind of talk about... Um, how he uses them to ambush deer right he he says that location is very important and uh, we get into the details of what grains he plants uh, what uh, why he plants them so forth and so on if you are kind of looking to up your game uh, as far as food plot strategy is concerned this is definitely the podcast for you so uh, uh, keep your ears open there's a lot of good information on this podcast now we have a new partner of this podcast, and it is Bond Durant Custom Furniture. Um, really awesome, awesome customized uh, wooden furniture. Now, what they do is uh, not only do they make, like, tables and chairs and customized doors, whatever really you need for your house, they'll build it for you from the looks of it. Uh, lighting, clocks, bars, benches, um, dining room tables, uh, just picnic tables. I mean, they they make absolutely anything, Uh, but I can't really explain it to you. You're going to have to go to their website, Bondurant Custom Furniture, click on the Custom Work tab, and just take a look at all the cool furniture that they make. Uh, They also specialize in taking old whiskey barrels and turning them into tables and chairs and benches and coffee tables and whatnot. Uh, Really, really cool uh, work these guys are doing. So once again, BondurantCustomFurniture.com and uh, check it out for yourself. And uh, if you like what you see, give them a call. Back again, Mr. Tom Peplinski. How you doing, man? Good. Good morning. How you been doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. You been out uh, turkey hunting at all?
1: No, I didn't even get a turkey tag. This year, I just, uh, we built a new house and uh, I'm trying to do a lot of habitat improvements on my 80 acres that I bought a few years ago. And so I just decided to skip the turkey season this year. I'm not a turkey fanatic, but. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the same with me. I, I go turkey hunting every year, but I'm more interested in helping others get their birds than I am in actually getting one myself. So like, I didn't get a turkey this year, but it, you know it's no hair off my back. Like I, I, I really don't care.
1: Yeah. That's, that's kind of
0: how I am. I, I don't know why, but what about mushrooms? How it is you been finding any
1: mushrooms? Uh, no, there, uh, I don't know my mushroom spots. I actually have quite a few mushrooms on my farm and by Decatur city and, uh, there's nothing there. So I don't, that's kind of strange isn't it to have this yeah. order there's locations and then they're not there this year yeah I don't know um,
0: I've checked a couple spots this year nothing going but then it's also been cooler than normal th- this spring and uh, although I am hearing rumblings down in the southeast corner of the state of people finding mushrooms up here where I live an hour north uh, I'm not I'm not finding anything
1: well maybe it's just too early then yeah
0: I think I think
1: so so
0: it's yeah, be... I got a couple
1: yeah I was gonna say I got a couple spots where I can just drive right up to them. Yeah. and I checked uh, yesterday as a matter of fact, and there's nothing there.
0: so this could be one of those years where you're gonna be finding mushrooms and just covered in ticks. Last year it it uh, it was pretty it wasn't near as green, I didn't think when the mushrooms started popping and we had a little bit warmer of a spring, but this year uh, we're gonna I think we're gonna be fighting a lot of ticks. Yeah, it could be. Well, today, we're going to be talking about food plot strategy, right? And we're just going to kind of use you and your farm as kind of the 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 base level and uh, kind of just shoot from there, talk to you a little bit about why uh, you do what you do on your farm, what, what you feel works, um, and then just kind of shoot from the hip from there. Sound good? Sure. Sounds great. All right. So I think uh, the first thing I want to ask you is uh, remind us again how— how big is the farm that you, the farms that you own? I have 120 acres and an 80 acre farm. Okay. And then on those respective farms, how much of that is dedicated to food plots?
1: Uh, my 120 acre farm, there's about 50 acres of CRP okay. and I'm allowed to put, I'm allowed to put 10%. Gotcha. And I, so I don't think it's quite five acres Although, although it might actually be about five acres. Um, so five acres out of 120. And then on my 80 acres, there's 60 acres of tillable. And that's actually in crops, grow crops. Okay. So I can do unlimited and, and basically because there's so much food. On my 80-acre farm, is completely different than my 20. My 80-acre farm, there's so much food in the area that I don't need quite the food plots um, then what I do on my 120 acres, I'm actually striving for more cover. Okay. Um, so I'm actually spending more time on my, on my 80 acres recently trying to create more bedding cover and, and stuff like that. It's different. It's in uh, Northern Wayne County Got ya. and the cover in the area in general is less. It's just a lot more crop ground. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to put in better cover and better habitat, um, not necessarily food plots. Gotcha. So that's what I, cause that's what I need over here. And then in Decatur County, it's just the opposite. There's a lot more timber in the area. So, uh, five acres is what I'm limited to, but that seems to be about, about right anyways. So gotcha. that works out good.
0: And That's a, a question I have is, is that 10% based off of the total acreage that you own or only the acreage that is in the CRP
1: program? Well, I'm limited to 10%. So the CRP program tells me that I can only do 10% of any given field. Um, so because I have 50 acres of CRP, I'm limited to 10% of the total acreage, but it's really by field. So if I have one field that's, let's say 23 acres, I can only two, I can only put 2.3 acres of that field um, into a food plot. Gotcha. So that's, that's all the CRP program. That's That I don't have a choice in other than I can locate it kind of where I want, Um, but the amount of acreage I'm limited to. Now, the only thing I can kind of manipulate that by is if there's a, you know, a 20 acre field next to a 15 acre field, one field I can put two acres, the other field I can put 1.5 acres, but I can actually put those food plots up next to each other Okay. so that my overall food plot is three and a half acres. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I can I can kind of butt them up next to each other, and that's that's what I do. Okay, so so
0: do you, when you plant these food plots, are you planting them in one location, or do you have them spread out into smaller locations throughout your farm?
1: So that that's kind of a question I think I'm prepared to answer because last night when I was sitting around thinking about this podcast, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about my evolution, if you want to say in the food plot management or how I go about putting in food plots. And what I used to do is take pretty much any available acreage that was available to me. Now I'm talking about over the last 25, 30 years. Yeah. So if a, if a farmer had a corner that was available or he had maybe some poor ground that was available or a little, a little inside corner that the tractor, you know, wouldn't go with the plant or something like that, I would take everything that was available to me and I'd be putting that into a food plot. And what I've learned over the years is that my intentions were well, or I had good intentions by trying to provide the best habitat, and the best food and the most amount of food that I could. But in some instances, it actually hurt my hunting by not having the food sources in the correct location. So I've kind of adapted to that over the years. And so what I do now is I actually take a step back from any farm that I'm gonna hunt. And I feel location of the food source is the most important question. It's more it's more important than what you're gonna plant, soybeans or corn or brassicas or cereal grains. It's more important than any of that stuff. And the reason, the reason why is because you can really do yourself some hunting harm by putting food plots in bad locations where you're bumping deer where they're impossible to hunt. Um, So that I'm just, I'm getting away from scattering them all over as opposed to now, what I really try to do is have one or maybe two bigger food sources. That's kind of out and away from the rest of my farm. It's an area that I can pick that I'd never have to walk by. It's an area that I, I don't ever have to worry about my scent blowing into. It's an area I can avoid. I know the neighbors aren't going to be walking by it. Their scent isn't going to be going by it. So it's it's basically a large two, three, four acre plot that I can put in. And with the exception of maybe like late muzzleloader hunting, I'll never even hunt that food plot. And what, what I found that does for me is it sets my farm up with a very predictable evening feeding pattern. So I know that the deer, because they're completely undisturbed on that food source, they're going to be going there every day. And they can they establish that feeding pattern. And I know they're going to be going there every single day. They'll be there throughout the evening. And they'll be coming back from that particular food plot in the morning. So it, it, it sets up a very predictable hunt for me, as, as opposed to, there's an acre on the North side of the farm There's an acre on the South side of the farm. Then I got some stuff, you know, over in the Southeast. And so now I, at any given point in day, I don't know where these deer are going. Gotcha. So,
0: you know, over the years I've realized, and maybe it's cause I've never specifically hunted food plots, but as these deer enter in an ag field, depending on the wind direction, right, they'll enter it in different spots. Um, So do you think that you're limiting yourself at all by making one big food plot now as opposed to several, you know, like, because the way I look at it is you have one food, like one food plot, let's say in every corner of your farm and based off wind direction, you're going to hunt that particular, uh, that particular food plot. Now, what it sounds like is that these deer are coming to that bigger food plot regardless of the wind direction.
1: Yeah, and, and they can still manipulate their travels. So so I guess to kind of finish the scenario is, you know, you hear people talk about these food plots as being like destination food sources, and I call them, really the term I like to use is like an exterior food source. So it's on the it's on the outside of my habitat, and it's it's kind of far away because I'm not really intending on hunting it with the exception, like I said, like maybe a late muzzleloader hunt. But I know the deer are going to be going there. And then from that food source, I have cover, hopefully, in multiple directions. So I, it's not like I only have one ambush site with one wind direction. So if, if I know the deer, if I know that the major food plot is out, let's say to the east of my best bedding, I can set up multiple small, and you hear this term all the time on the TV shows and stuff are these little kill plots. Right. So I'll, I'll set up the, I'll set up these multiple really small and I call them an interior food plot, like right on the edge of cover, um, barely in the timber. And I use those to manipulate deer travels where they're coming from bed. They'll hit these little small interior food plots. I'll have a little mock scrape there, maybe a water hole. And they're using that as their travel pattern as they go out to the bigger food source yeah yeah but but my whole hunting strategy then is to hunt maybe these three or four or five smaller food plots that are not back in their bedding area. They're not back out at their destination where they really want to be in the in the evening for their major food source, but they're somewhere in between. And these smaller food plots that I hunt are always planted in greens, and they're purposely never the greatest food plots. I don't want these deer coming in there and hanging around for three hours and then bedding down and then, and then walking, walking around and, and stuff like that. I don't want that. I don't want it to be a major food source. I want it to be like a snack bar. Right. I okay. want the bu- I want the bucks to come in there and scrape and rub, maybe look for a doe or a fawn if it's, if it's uh rut time to chase around a little bit, but I all, I just want it as a staging area f- food plot where they feel comfortable. Like I said, doing their rutting, scraping, um, making rubs, and then they move on. Got and what that does for me is that allows me to hunt these little food plots the entire hunting season without ever really putting a lot of hunting pressure on these deer, because if I'm going in with the right wind and I'm accessing with the right wind, I'm not bumping any deer. If I'm on stand and I have my scent, let's say, blowing out over a cow pasture, or maybe I can manipulate where I put that little interior food plot so my scent is blowing out over a pond, or maybe I'm high enough on a ridge where it's blowing over the top of the ridge. Then while I'm on stand, I'm not getting busted unless I make a mistake and I'm moving around or something like that. And on an evening hunt or a morning hunt, by the time I get down, the deer are gone. They're they're either back in their beds or they're headed out toward that main food food source. Yeah. So that allows me on what I consider a small parcel, 120 acres, 80 acres. It allows me to have, three or four or five different scenarios of hunting and these aren't the only places I hunt but if I want to hunt a food source I can hunt these four or five different area areas set up for all the different wind directions and I can keep bouncing around based on wind direction and I'm not putting a lot of pressure on the deer because in reality they know that they have this three acre soybean or cornfield that they can go to every single night and they're never getting bumped out there right so that that's the kind of the idea
0: behind it right that's uh that's a similar to my uh my early season hunting strategy uh because i if i'm going to hunt a morning in the early season i like to get in the timber and not you know obviously you're wasting your time i feel if you're trying to hunt a uh let's like say early october ag field and right you're You're basically getting lucky if a deer walks by you on a field edge uh, in the mornings in October, right? So I like to be back in the timber. And it sounds like all you're doing is slowing them down enough to potentially get a shot at a a deer or letting them get on their feet early enough. Because typically, you know, most of the year, they're not showing up to the major food sources until after dark anyway, right? Correct. Right. Okay. All right.
1: Yep. So you're, the way you just explained it is, is actually a perfect way of explaining it. All I'm trying to do is I'm trying to manipulate with my food sources where the deer travel. Yeah. And then those small little interior plots are a way to funnel them through a certain area that's at, that's at my advantage. Right. So I, I pick the spot. Right. So this is, we've talked about this before, this is 100% or 180 degrees flipped on its head from Hunting Public Ground. Yeah, because on public land, you can't. You have to go out and figure out what the deer are doing and where they're traveling and why they're traveling, what they are, and then try and catch them in between bedding and feeding, or figure out a, a strategy for the rut. Where I'm doing just the opposite, I'm trying to manipulate how the deer move on my farm to my advantage. Yep. So I'm I'm deciding where the food plot is located, and I'm deciding where the interior plot is located, and I have my stands picked out. My bedding area is picked out. Everything is picked out before I ever put a single seed in the ground. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think the mistakes I made 20 years ago was back when I took any available cropland or any little opening in the woods. So you have these little natural openings in the wood and i would plant them all in food plots. So I had all these little kill plots all over in the woods and i all, oh boy, there's a little kill plot in there and I have a camera in there and I'd be getting pictures of nice bucks. But by November 1st or November 4th or 5th those stands were all burned out because I was bumping deer on the way in I was bumping deer on the way out Deer were getting downwind to me while I was on stand because what I was doing is I was letting the terrain and what was available to me tell me where I had to plant my food plots and now I don't do that anymore
0: right yeah that makes a lot of sense so I know this is a a food plot podcast but in regards to the manipulation, right? You you want these deer to come through the smaller food plot. Are you doing any other habitat work to, I guess, ma- basically highlight that smaller food plot so they're you, they're they're coming through that area
1: even more. Well, so the one thing you can manipulate is the bedding area, and we talked about that maybe on our last podcast. So, like on that 120 acre farm. I took a very high level approach to that farm before I did anything, before I planted any food, before I did any kind of hinge cutting or anything like that. And I said to myself, you know, where do I want the deer to bed? And if the deer bed in this location, where can I put a destination or exterior plot? And then where are my ambush sites in between the bedding area and my main destination source. If I put a little food plot here, can I create dough bedding around that little food plot? So I, I looked at all of that first. So the answer is yes. There's other things that I do. So the first is I'll determine where I want my bedding area. I shouldn't say the first. I don't know if there's an order to it, but if I want my bedding area in a certain location, my main bedding area, that's where I might do these pockets of hinge cutting to try and get some good buck bedding. And then 200 yards from that is, okay, this is where I can set up my little interior staging area plot. And then I'll do some pocket hinge cutting around there for dough bedding. And then this is a natural draw. Maybe there's a ditch or something that can lead out to my destination, you know, four acres of corn and soybean rotation. So that's all planned out ahead of time. Um, you can actually hinge cut. Uh, if you hinge cut in a way that I'm trying to just dis- think of how I can describe this on a podcast, but imagine dropping a bunch of trees that are perpendicular to the way you want deer to walk. It's going to be very hard for them to walk through there because they're, they're bumping up against these logs. I mean, just imagine trying to drive a four wheeler through a bunch of trees that are laying perpendicular to the way you want to drive your four wheeler. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So you can actually drop some trees or hinge cut some trees that's parallel to the way you want deer to travel. So if you want deer to travel, let's say west to east, you would hinge cut some trees and drop them west to east so that they can walk through that. If, there's an, if you want to deter them from taking a certain trail, you can maybe hinge cut, cut a couple trees that are perpendicular to that same travel because now they can't walk that way. You see what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. And absolutely. I don't do a ton of that because I think establishing my my buck bedding which i consider the bedding that's the farthest away from the food source and then my interior plots with some bedding around for those and fawns and then natural habitat which would be like a draw or a ditch going out to my main food source that'll do like 90 percent of what i want it to do okay but i but i have already gone in and done some of this perpendicular and parallel hinge cutting and that gets down to more of a now, it's, now I have the general um, travel that I want, but I'm just going to tweak it a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't want these bucks skirting this little food plot by 40 yards, so I might drop one or two trees over here. So that's kind of a tweak of what I got going on. Gotcha.
0: All right, so on one of those smaller uh, plots that allows you to, you know, get in and out real easy, you mentioned those are almost always in greens. What kind of greens are you planting there?
1: Well, my favorite's winter rye, um, strictly because it, winter rye will grow in anything. It doesn't need hardly any fertility. Uh, it stays green throughout the whole hunting season, so you never have to worry about any kind of frost damage. So winter rye is always in one of my small food plots. Okay. And, then, and then a lot of times I'll mix in uh, maybe just one brassica, and my favorite is app and turnips. Um, I've actually, this was kind of an accident, but I got, a, I got some app and turnips along with, I don't even know, three or four other varieties of turnips one year. And I purposely put them in a food plot kind of in strips so that I could tell what the deer were eating. And for whatever reason, the deer really seemed to gravitate toward those app and turnips. So I, that was kind of a, I don't, I don't know if it's maybe just a little sweeter. I mean, who knows? But ever since then, now I just get straight appin' turnips, and I mix that with the, with the winter rye. And, and just, just those two seeds would be like 90% of my small interior plots. That's all I plant in them. I take it the rye is palatable
0: almost any time of year, but for those, uh, those turnips, is that uh, only
1: palatable after first frost? No, I wouldn't say that. I would say they'll, they'll eat both. As soon as they're out of the ground, and uh, the turnips will start to freeze, and like so, the app and turnips is more of a forage. Okay. Turnip they don't get they don't get these big bulbs that you see like on with uh, radishes or purple tops. You see these big bulbs. The app and turnip will have kind of a bulb on it, but not really much. But they'll eat that app and turn up from the time it comes up with the winter eye until it freezes out and turns to mush. But generally generally speaking it never gets that far because they're gone before then because you got to remember these plots are small so they're they're just coming in there and, and they're browsing on that rye and they're browsing on them turnips and the plots are small and and really what i want them in there for is to do more scraping and and rubbing and kind of chasing around and it's more of a staging area right so again the location is far more important i, I so we talked about winter, drying app, and turnips, but my answer is really, you could put in oats. If you had some source of free oats because your neighbor has oats, put oats in there. You know, if you have somebody had some leftover seed from last year and it was uh, some kind of brassica blend with whatever, put that in there. So it's, I don't think that's anywhere near as important on these little bitty plots is their location. The only reason why I go 100% green is because you're not going to grow beans or corn or some kind of grain in there because a spring-planted food plot on a tenth of an acre is just not going to work, especially when they're back in the timber or right on the edge of timber. See what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So what kind of prep work
0: is going into these smaller plots uh, as far as, I don't know, do you need to work the ground every year? Are are these returning-type seeds? um, Do Do you need fertilizer? What kind of work goes into
1: those smaller plots? So if it's a, if it's an opening, if it's, you know, a natural opening or a fallow field or something that you're turning uh, into this food plot, then what you really need to do is because it's a fall planted plot is if you don't have big equipment, uh, like a tractor and a disc, if you don't have something that's a little bit more substantial and all you're planting with is a little Whirlybird backpack spreader and a four-wheeler with a drag, then you really need to get in there and spray that, like right now already as of this podcast, and then get in there another two or three times just with some glyphosate on a backpack sprayer or a little hand pump sprayer. And remember, these are small plots, so you can do it with a little hand sprayer to keep the weeds down, simply because if you try going in September 1st with a drag and a four-wheeler and you've got weeds that are three feet tall, you've got your, you got a, a big task in front of you. Yeah. So that's the kind of prep work, work you got to do is keep them sprayed. If you are using the winter rye with an apple turnip or something like that, the winter rye will actually come up in the spring green and it'll grow like crazy and it'll actually suppress any other kind of weeds that are in that plot. But what you'll end up with come September is three or four feet tall straw because that that winter rye is going to mature and it's going to be straw. So if you have a way to like mow the straw or get the straw out of there, or again, if you have a tractor and a disc, you can actually disc that in and it'll reseed itself because all those, all those heads of winter rye will have hundreds of seeds on them and you can just disc it right back in and it'll grow again. So that's an option. <clears throat> the other thing is getting back to the location side of it. You might determine that one of these small plots is in the timber. So in that case, you're, you're actually going to be clearing out a, a spot in the timber. and that, So you're going to have stumps. You're going to have these big tree stumps to deal with. And what I always suggest to people is just cut the stump as low to the ground as you possibly can. You might, you're going to be dulling some chains but get the stump as low to the ground as you possibly can and don't worry about removing the stump. Don't worry about hiring a backhoe or somebody that can, or a big dozer and clearing these out. You don't have to do that. <clears throat> you should probably treat the stump with like Tordon or something like that, especially if, if it's like a locust or a box elder or something that's going to be a prolific grower so that you kill that tree. But then for the first three or four or five or six years, just plant around the stumps. It doesn't matter if there's a, a one square foot spot in your little food plot where nothing grows because there's a stump there, don't worry about it. Okay. And then over the years, that stump will just rot out. You know, if you killed it, and eventually you'll be able to plant there too. And that's the other reason why I really like a disc, why I re- recommend a disc to new food plotters or really any food plotters because a disc pulled behind a four-wheeler or my disc is pulled behind my tractor if I have these little food plots in the timber and there are stumps, I can just go slow and try not to be turning and stuff. And that disc will just ride right up over top of those stumps. If I've cut them off low enough to the ground. So that's just kind of another kind of a tip for somebody who's saying, you know, that's all I have is timber and I'm putting my small food plots in these little openings. That's the only place I can put them. I would say that that's just not true because you can do, with the chainsaw, you can clear out a small food plot anywhere with relative ease. And then just as long as you're using a disc, it'll just go right up, go right up over top of those stumps and you'll have, you can put that plot anywhere you want it. As long as there's sunlight that gets to it, right? As long as there's sunlight. So that's why you're clearing those trees out. Yep. Right, right. Yeah. So if, if your food plot is only a tenth of an acre and you cut out, let's say, six trees, so now you're thinking, oh, my food plot's big enough, you, you still have to kind of look up your canopy and you know definitely look south and maybe that's a case where you're going to hinge cut another 15 trees so that you have the right amount of sunlight you're not necessarily going to clear those trees out but maybe you'll hinge cut them to get the sunlight in there gotcha
0: okay um so then any other i guess information that we need to know about these smaller plots um do you like to keep them long and thin or do you like to keep them like square or circular like more condensed is there a pattern that you like to go with
1: well i think deer will travel if you have a long and thin plot i think they will they will travel especially bucks they tend to travel the length of the plot but these plots for me are so small i don't really worry about shape Right. I, I mean, I'm sitting in my living room right now, and I'm thinking some of me, some of these plots that I'm planning are my living room and kitchen and dining room, and that's that's it. So it's you can't really make that plot in an L or a, or long, or you know, they're so small. That's not to say that some of my interior plots aren't a little bit bigger, but I typically don't worry about shape at all. My right. number one concern is is location, and then my second concern is. Um, and the reason why I recommend the winter rye is just because it lasts the whole season. I You, you don't want to go through all the work and have, let's say, only oats planted in there and then it freezes out and, you know, November 7th comes around and it's dead. Yeah. So, and then if you do want to fertilize a little bit, these green plots, the best thing for a green plot is nitrogen. Yes. If it's winter rye or brassicas, that's nitrogen. The other thing you talked about would be like if it's a perennial or annual, I used to kind of mix in clover plots a little bit and I just don't do that anymore. I'm not saying you can't do that. I don't do it because to me, the maintenance of these perennial plots and getting in there and mowing them and keeping the weeds out and stuff is just, it's a hassle to me. So I don't, I don't mess with clover or anything like that back in the timber. I just replant them every year and it seems like it's less work and just as effective. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Uh, and then anything else as far as uh, whether it's the location of the smaller plots or something that maybe you made a mistake in the past and you don't want anybody else to make that same mistake as far as these little plots are concerned
1: uh the only other thing i just want to reiterate is just when you're putting them in you know envision envision it's november 4th and or october 22nd and you got a weekend off just envision in your mind how you're going to get in there how are you going to get in there and where are the deer bedding and what do you have to walk by and envision that before you put that plot in. So it's part of the location thing, but that's, that's very important. And then, okay, now that you're in there, how are you going to get back out at the end of the evening or it's the, it's a morning hunt and the deer have worked by you and it's 11 o'clock in the morning. How, How are you going to get back out and safely get to your vehicle or your cabin and envision all that stuff ahead of time, you know, sit down with your buddies or your son or your daughter or your your grandpa or whoever you hunt with and figure all this stuff out conceptually in your mind before you actually head into the field to start doing this stuff, to start planting your seeds. That's that's the number one advice I would give people is don't worry about what you're planting and do I need to culty packet and all these little fine things. That's all important for agricultural settings where it's a big difference if they're getting... 60 bushel beans or 80 bushel beans when they're making a living on it. That stuff is not the important stuff for a hunter. The important stuff for a hunter is access and who's bumping If they're going to be bumping you on stand and and stuff like that, that's what's important. So you're looking at
0: this more of a, um, a kill strategy than actually providing some kind of nutrition to the deer.
1: Oh, absolutely. Right. 100%. 100%. This is a kill strategy my destination field, you can say I'm feeding the deer. These little interior plots have nothing to do with feeding deer. Literally nothing to do with feeding deer at all. Gotcha. And that's why I said, that's why I said you can use old seed, uh, mixed blends that you don't even know what's in them, nothing. With the one caveat that I like winter rye because it lasts so long. But these little plots are nothing more than a staging area. For the for the bucks to rut and scrape and rub and the dose to kind of filter through as they're headed out to that main food source. So that's the interior plot has nothing to do with feeding deer. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, so then, as we kind of go on later into the year, is there a time? that you're really focusing on these smaller plots right is it just from like october 1st until the rut and then or after the rut and then you're moving to the bigger food sources or what are you how are you hunting these or when are you so the those? little
1: the little plots i would think are an entire early season awesome ambush spot so from season opener right until the end of the early season so that's the whole month of october the whole month of november uh if these small plots are in areas that are close to bedding or in funnel areas you know they can they can still probably be good for shotgun season but really it's more of an early type well when i say early i'm talking about the whole month of october the whole month of november that's that's what i'm hunting them from from season opener all the way through and they're yes. great. i'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying the other thing too dan is i don't want people to think that these are the only spots i hunt but in terms of food plots These are some of the best spots that I have are these little interior plots between bedding and main and a main food source. And I'll hunt them the entire archery season. When you get into the late season, then I don't hunt them at all. Only because my late season strategy, and this is just for me, and I'm not saying you can, this is what you have to do for late season strategy, but my late season strategy now switches to that main food source because generally I'll have a muzzle loader in my hand, around Christmas time and I can shoot out to 200 yards. So now I can safely hunt a destination food source and not worry about bumping deer and ruining the bed to feed pattern that I've tried to establish the entire year. Cause that's really what I'm trying to do is establish right. that pattern. Now I don't care. It's, it's new year's it's Christmas. I don't care. I'm sitting 200 yards away from this food source. And I'm, if a target deer comes out, I'm going to shoot it and I'm done. So. Right. Right. Okay. So with that said, then let's transition over to these
0: bigger, these destination food sources. Um, how big are those plots?
1: Well, they're as as big as they need to be. So I know that doesn't answer your question, but it's probably different for everybody. If you're in a low density area, excuse me, you can probably get away with an acre or an acre and a half, something like that. Um, if you use an option like electric fencing in, grain, grain food plots, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but there's some pretty good strategies about electric fencing in soybeans and corn. So that they'll make it through the summer months and you'll go into the fall with a better stand of a grain crop and I do implement um, those strategies on my bigger food plots. Then you can get away with a smaller food plot. Um, so the answer is you know, probably a minimum is an acre, acre and a half. Ideally, it's probably three or four acres, and the reason why ideally bigger is a little bit better is because it it relieves social stress on the deer herd if you have a bigger plot because the deer are able to spread out a little bit when they get out there.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So then with it, you know, your main focus on... Those sources are late season, right? And it sounds to me like you're blocking some of them off. So at any point, obviously, you're planting these food plots because you want to kill a deer. But are do you have any thought as far – do you put in any thought or strategy as into, hey, I want to make sure these deer are as healthy as humanly possible, Uh, And I want to make sure they're fed through the winter months, or is it just more of a, I have these food plots so that I can get myself into a position to
1: to shoot a mature buck. So it's, it's about 95% hunting about 95% hunting. I, I don't, and I don't want to make, I don't want to make it sound like this is like controversial or whatever, but I know a lot of, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, I'll just pick something, for example, like clover. You should always have an acre of clover. I've, I've heard other people say that you need to have clover because it comes out of the ground early in the spring and it gives does a place to eat. And I don't, I just don't see that in Iowa. I just don't. I mean, I, I'm from Wisconsin and we have deer herds in the northern part of Wisconsin that deal with 150 inches of snow and they're fine. They deer are remarkable and they, they lived and grew big rocks way before we ever hunted them for sport, especially where I am in Southern Iowa. Our winters down here are so mild compared to what a deer can actually deal with. Right. That I don't think that we, we, if we're putting in a food plot because we're thinking that we're doing it to help the deer and, and they need all this extra nutrition and stuff, we're, we're just telling that to ourselves to make ourselves feel good. That's my, <laughs> that's my, I really believe that. I, I think I deer are, I think deer are perfectly fine making it on their own without us planning all this supplemental food for them. I a hundred percent believe that. Yeah. Now that's not to say that I don't enjoy having my, my standing four acres of soybeans. So that come February and March, now I got a place to go shed hunting. So there's yeah. some, so it's not a hundred percent hunting, but yet shed hunting is a part of the hunt too. But the deer, the deer don't need us. They'll do fine without us. And so I'm not, I'm not, in fact, I will go one step further and say, if you're putting in some of these perennial crops like clover, or you're putting in good summer crops like soybeans, and you're doing it too much and too good and too close to good bedding cover, that's actually a bad thing. That's not actually a good thing. That's a bad thing in terms of hunting because you can actually create too good a habitat and have too good of summer food where you attract every doe in your neighborhood that are going to set up shop on your farm and not leave. And so come fall, you're going to be overpopulated with doe family groups. There are going to be does and fawns everywhere, and that's a deterrent. To having mature bucks who decide that they want to call your farm their core area and their home, and it's also a deterrent when I know this is not on food plots, but but it kind of is because it's an important topic. When when bucks displace between their when their are when they're buck fawns and they're year and a half old, when they disperse and they they set out and they find their new their home range their own home range that's different from their moms, if you're farm is loaded up with does and fawns because you have all this awesome habitat and 10 acres of soybeans and clover plots all this summer food which does seek out because those are going to seek out the best summer food available when they're fawning you've just done yourself a huge disservice um, for hunting purposes so there's actually some negative effects from having too good a summer food if you're not willing and able or capable of shooting enough does to control that, you know, I don't know what you call it, that dole family group right. um overpopulation on your farm. It's a there I've actually seen some farms that were bought or purchased or friends that have gotten permission to hunt that were good farms that had really nice bucks on them and actually got worse over a three or four or five or six year period because hunters went in and they started planting acres and acres and acres of soybeans and clover. And hinge cutting and doing all this stuff, and they loaded the farm up with does and fawns. And year six was worse than year one. I believe when that. they bought the farm, when they bought the farm, and there was nothing on the farm. You know, yeah. the, all the, all the farm was was just rough ground and maybe some old CRP and some old pasture. And the hunting was was fine. And they tried to improve it, and they made it worse by just loading up with those and fawns. Yeah. So that you can do you can actually do some harm if you're not careful. That's and that's the other reason why I got away from all these little fitty little bitty food plots and an acre of soybeans here and an acre of soybeans there, as opposed to having, you know, a four acre soybean plot, maybe it's half soybeans, half corn, or a third soybeans, a third corn and a third, you know, like a fall planet green or something like that, that I electric fence in. Cause I don't want a bunch of those and fawns on my farm. There's right. there's those and fawns everywhere, but I don't want my farm just loaded up with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I have a feeling that other than, let me, let me take a step back to finish that. I I've seen that happen as well okay. to, to where, um, a guy goes in and I don't know what it is about, you know, obviously humans ruin a lot, a lot of things, right? Nature has a way of working itself out and providing, you know, the best possible scenario for every animal. Right. If humans, they come in and they change something, nature has to change so that it balances out what the humans have done. Right. So so I see that a lot in some of the areas that I hunt to where, let's say we have a managed farm in one area that has a ton of food and it just sucks all the deer in. um, And then, you know, maybe I'm not seeing what I need to see. Throughout certain parts port, of the year, but then when that food source there's that shift, you know, and the food sources change, or the the deer palates change, and they go to something else, and they come back over to where I'm hunting, and uh, you know, all, it all kind of works itself out. But I definitely, I definitely see where too much food can be a bad thing, especially if you don't have the cover to
1: support that. Yeah, yep. Too much food in all the wrong places, and then the inability or not having the will or the capability. Cause maybe, maybe doe tags aren't available. So if you're providing all this great habitat and all this great summer food and sucking all these does and fawns in, um, you're not helping yourself out. And over time, it's just going to get worse because the buck fawns will get dispersed. Cause we, I mean, you mentioned nature. That's what happens in nature. Like 90, some 90% of buck fawns get dispersed. The doe family group kicks them out. So they got to find a new home. Right. So in the, in the, but the doe fawn stays. So over time, just imagine what, what's happening here. Right. You know, on my 120 acres, if I didn't shoot any does, or if I only provided summer food, eventually there'd be 50, 60, 70, 80 deer just on that 120 acres. And people say, "Oh, you'd never have. It. Yeah, you would. <laughs> if you provided enough bedding cover and bedding habitat in that summer food, you'd load that sucker up with does and fawns and there'd be no, no room left for bucks. Right, nuns. So now your farm just turned into just turned into a doe factory, and you have, you know, what maybe ten days of hunting when bucks are coming in there. Yep. So, I mean, I don't. I wanna. I wanna farm that hunts from October first until January tenth. That's what I want. I wanna. I wanna be able to hunt for four months, not ten days. Well, at the same time,
0: right? It just has gotten easier for the bucks on your property, too. There's no chasing. Oh, they come in. They pick a doe. They breed it, and then they go on to the next one. There's no chasing. There's,
1: there's no quote unquote rut. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. One hundred percent. I could I could tell you stories upon stories of examples of where this is where this has happened, and the landowners are just they're in denial because that's no you don't you don't shoot does. And how can more food be bad? Yeah. You know, I'm a, so, so then they double down. Well, I'm not going to put three acres of soybeans in because now that I got 40 deer on my land they're eating them right there, there's nothing left. Yeah. So now I'm going to put eight acres of soybeans on my farm. So they double down on it. You know, it's just, and it's, I, I shouldn't laugh because I've been there. I used to do that. I made those mistakes and I'm so kind of stay back, take a step back and what is going on here? And you finally realize what you're really doing. Yeah. yeah. So you got to be careful. You got to be careful with food plots too. So that's kind of like maybe the fourth reason or the third reasons, I don't know if I gave you reasons, but that's the other reason why I'm transitioning more to these bigger, large exterior plots that are in grains, soybeans and corn, but I'm fencing them out. I'm trying to not let does and fawns and, and deer in there. And then I'm putting these smaller interior plots in, in the fall and I'm, my electric fence comes down in the fall. And right about the time that the bucks are setting up their fall range, oh, look at that. Now I got four acres of corn and beans, and I got all these little food plots, and I got great bedding cover, but they're not completely filled in with doe no family groups. So that's kind of the goal. Right, right.
0: Well, other than soybeans and corn, you know, obviously those are the big ones, but other than soybeans and corn, do you have any other... Of these big destination plots and anything else?
1: No, I, I mean I typically don't. I, I do soybeans and corn strictly because it's a great it's a great destination plot. Deer love them, but that's also my it'll it'll end up being my late muzzle order spot to hunt. And there's probably nothing quite as good as standing corn and standing beans you know when it's five degrees out and the wind's blowing and you get some snow and it's pretty hard to beat that so if you were only a bow hunter and you didn't care about the late muzzle muzzleloader and stuff like that then your destination plot could probably be that could probably be where your perennial four acres of clover or alfalfa deer deer love alfalfa it's probably hard to beat alfalfa so you could do those options but for me come January 2nd or something like that, you're not going to find probably a lot of deer on an alfalfa field with six inches of snow on it. So that's, that's why I go corn and soybeans.
0: Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it sounds like uh, you are figuring it out still, even after all these years of uh, planning food plots Um, we're getting ready to wind down this podcast. But before we do, do you have any other advice Or, you know, cautionary tales that you would like to share with the listener about planting food plots?
1: Yeah, the only the only other thing I wanted to mention, um, it didn't really get brought up. So I talked about the destination plots and then my transition plots. The other the other kind of plot or location that I used to plant food plots in. And again, this goes back to what was available to me in these natural openings in the timber or whatever would be putting good food sources in the bedding areas and I used to do this just because that's what was available to me and I wouldn't recommend anybody do that I wouldn't plant logging trails Uh, maybe there's a logging landing or something or these openings back in the timber I would just leave that alone I wouldn't plant any type of food plots back in there for two reasons one you don't want to be hunting back in there in the middle of a bedding area anyways I don't know how you could possibly get in and, and out and stuff like that The other reason would be is if you provide too much good food in a deer's bedding area, that's actually going to deter daytime movement out where you're going to hunt them. So that's another mistake I used to make in the past is if you provide too much good food in and around their bedding area, you've just made them, you know, quote unquote, more nocturnal. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually not nocturnal because they're up and they're feeding, but they're feeding an area where you're not necessarily gonna be able to hunt them so a good a good bedding area you know gives you all your security cover but then the food source in a good bedding area is nothing more nothing more than woody brows, briars blackberry briar leaves maybe some broadleaf weeds stuff like that because you actually want the deer to be hungry when it gets to be five or six at night you want them to be good and hungry so they get up on their feet during daytime and come past you at your interior plot, you know, headed out to their main food source. You don't want them to have a full belly at three in the afternoon. Right. So that'd be the only, that'd be the only other thing I would mention is, uh, again, it sounds great because, oh, I'm going to put all this food back in there and I'm going to draw all these deer in there. If you have a, if you have a bedding area that's already got daytime browse for them in, in woody species and broadleaf weeds and stuff like that, and it's good security cover and they're not bumped and they're not pressured, you don't need to provide them all kinds of food in there they'll they'll be in there just fine yeah
0: last question with this food plot strategy a lot of people talk about the october lull right do you do you still witness uh, a lull or a lull or does your food plot strategies just kind of soak that up and you're still seeing deer throughout the whole year
1: no i don't see a lull I just I don't see it. Um thank you. I think deer deer are on the bedding, the feeding pattern. And the only way you're gonna see a lull in October or November or December, in my opinion, is if something that you did or the, the habitat doesn't support. So if there's a lull in October and you have the proper food and cover available it's probably because you're bumping deer or your your scent blowing into the bedding area or you're walking upwind of a bedding area or, or something you're doing something that's that's doing that because if you do it all right you have just as good a chance at shooting a five-year-old buck or a six-year-old buck and, and i shouldn't just say mature bucks but you're going to see nice deer and good deer movement the entire season if you do it right of course there's peaks you know there's there's days where you have better luck than the next day but you can some of the nicest deer I have harvested are October 20th and and stuff like that, and that's supposed to be the lull. And I I just I don't know I don't see it. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool, man. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you taking time today to uh, share your food plot strategy with us. I'm pretty sure that uh, that has helped a lot of people out as far as uh, you know a little bit more knowledge on uh, food plotting and whatnot. So uh, I appreciate your time. So I appreciate being
1: here. It's always fun.
0: And that brings us to the end of this podcast. Just want to thank Tom again for taking time out of his day to hop on and uh, drop some knowledge bombs on us. Also, uh, if you haven't yet, you need to. You need to go to iowasportsman.com and take a look at all the other content that is on the Iowa Sportsman website—hunting uh, related, fishing related, outdoor related—tons of great information uh, there, as well as the ability to subscribe to the magazine, which also has a ton of great information in it as well. Really good articles. That's how I got my start. Uh, I used to write for that magazine. Now I do the food part, the I got food plots on my brain right now, but that is how I got my start. I used to write. Now I do the podcast, uh, so forth and so on. And here we are, but, uh, just really good content in that magazine as well. Uh, and, uh, make sure you're following us on social media and subscribe to this podcast, right? You need to go to iTunes or wherever you download this podcast, hit the subscribe button. And that brings this podcast to you automatically. So, uh, Hopefully everybody had a great week. Hopefully you have a great weekend and enjoy getting outside and whether you're looking for mushrooms or you're still trying to fill that turkey tag. Happy spring, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week.